Hello and welcome to Jumpstart Weekly, the weekly manga podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy. And I'm Kevin. Where every week we read Shonen Jump, and this week we are reading issue 352. Given that all the chapters have titles, I suddenly want Shonen Jump volumes to have titles as well, but they don't. I feel like that would become difficult. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, After that, we are going to finish our shoujo reading with Kiss Him, Not Me, which I feel like I'm using the wrong inflection on, but that's fine. Yeah, there's definitely got to be Kiss Him, Not Me. Yeah, there you go. Kevin's got it. That's what that manga is actually called. Before we get to that, though, we have Shonen Jump, the cover, which I bet Kevin doesn't remember. I do remember. Oh, okay. Is a Dr. Stone cover. It looks kind of Full Metal Alchemist-y, actually. Yeah. He's holding, like, two wires, creating a bunch of electricity. It's not bad. Dr. Stone looks a lot better in color, I think. We get a couple of color pages in this week's chapter, and I think it looks a lot better. I think an anime of Dr. Stone is something I'd enjoy a lot more than the manga. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on in this issue. All right, well, we will start with Dr. Stone then. Again, we start with two color pages. The first one's kind of a restating of the premise. Yep. About how everyone got turned to stone. And it's the future now. This uh, chapter is pretty much just character stuff. It's picking up from where the last one left off with with Senku being like, we're going to petrify you, Tsukasa. So then when we heal you, you'll be A-OK. Yep. But it's basically just him being like, but we don't know how to do that. So I'm going to cryogenically freeze you first. Well, and even he mentions that I'm actually just going to kill you first and hope that the petrification healing process will revive the fact that I murdered you with cryogenics. Because it will actually kill him, not keep him frozen. Like, it'll keep his body alive, but it will kill him. Yeah. And Sakasa's like, well, I did try to kill you, so that's fair. Yeah, he says, if anyone is going to kill me, it should be you. Yeah. So basically, the chapter is this, them kind of talking while Sukasa slowly freezes to death. Yeah, and it's Senku kind of going with a distraction tactic. He's talking about Mario, and he poses Tsukasa a question of, hey, which three people would you want to take with you on a spaceship? Yeah. And slowly, Tsukasa dies, and so Senku's like, all right, well, now we have to figure it out, and whatever it was, it came from the other side of the world, so now we have to get there. Yeah. And it ends with some cute little chibi drawings of all of them in different vehicles to go to the other side of the world. Yep. It was interesting. Yeah. It was better, I feel, than the last couple chapters of Dr. Stone. But it's still not really grasping me. Like I said, this has me a lot more excited than the ending of the last arc did. But I still don't really know that I want to go on with it much longer. Yeah. I mean, we have to. We're we're locked in now. Yeah, I'm going to keep reading it. But I don't have to be excited about reading it. Yeah. Although, again, I'm still hopeful that this next arc is going to be better. This didn't dash my hopes for that. Yeah. And that brings us into the second chapter in this volume, which is the newly debuting Ruby. Yeah. Okay. So probably we should give our background with Ruby because we give it on everything, right? Yeah. Kevin is wearing a Ruby t-shirt. He has a Ruby backpack in which is the Ruby board game that we're going to be going to play this evening. I don't like Ruby. Yeah, he doesn't. I'm a big fan of it. I've been a big fan of Rooster Teeth, the company that produces Ruby, and I got into it because... It was another one of the big shows that they've been putting out. And so I really like it. And then I got to read the manga. And we'll go over how I feel about that in the jump card segment. But let's jump into the manga. Okay, yeah. 
I have a feeling we will talk about it in the jump card segment, but something I, I want to ask you, because I'm not a Ruby fan, so like I'm biased against this to start. Did you think the art in this was kind of really bad? Yes. Like, almost unfinished a lot of the time? It looked like they were going for a cell-shaded look with black and white, and it does not work at all. Yeah, it does kind of look like, not necessarily unfinished, I guess it does kind of look unfinished. Like, certain parts of the background, there'll be, like, stuff in it for no reason, like a bunch of black lines. They don't look like anything. It's not like smoke or anything like that. It's just like, here's some lines in the background to make it look more like a background. Yeah, and in particular, the the picture of like Beacon Castle, which is very clearly supposed to be the Disneyland castle. Like, it just looks awful here. Yeah, not a fan. He's usually better with the characters, but there are a few shots where like Weese's outfit doesn't look finished. Like, it just kind of ends. And I don't know. I just did not care for the art at all. Yeah. I know this is the officially licensed Ruby thing, but I don't know how involved the artist is with the company itself. I haven't kept up on that. They probably talk about it at some point in some of their like background things. So I don't know if he's just taking the anime as a source material and going from that with their permission or if they're like in contact with the costume design or what's going on with that. But it definitely not not my favorite. All right. And the plot, when this was announced last week, I was really hoping this was like a side story or something. Because while I say I don't like Ruby, to elaborate, I did watch the first four seasons. Because I think the characters are all well-designed and pretty well-thought-out. I like them all as characters. I just kept waiting for that show to get good. In In my opinion, it never did. So I was really hoping this would be a side story or something that I could get into. But it is just an adaptation of the first couple of episodes of Ruby. Yep. I think actually just the first episode. No, because the first episode ends with Ozpin saying you can go to Beacon and her being on the ship. That's right. And it's also, this makes a point of introducing Blake and Weiss a little more completely a little earlier. Yep. Which I don't think is a bad thing. I also don't love their take on Yang. Does she seem to have that much of a crush on Ruby in the like source material and I'm just forgetting it? Or No. Like, she's definitely excited that her younger sister is also here like it's kind of cool of like wow my younger sister's so cool she got she got here two years ahead and all that stuff but no she's not that overly attached in the anime at least not that i can remember i haven't seen the first season recently neither have i but i don't remember that either really so anyway if you've seen the first couple of episodes of ruby there's not much here I honestly really don't like CG animation. That's one of the biggest reasons I don't like Ruby, if I'm being entirely honest. And I do prefer these like anime manga style drawings of the characters, but the art is just not very good, which unfortunately means I can't even really enjoy that. Yep. So I guess to go into the plot, it starts off with a guy in a bowler hat robbing a dust store. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into the plot, to be entirely honest with you. I'm not saying we can't, but... That's one of the things about Ruby I don't like, so I feel like I'll just be beating it up more. Gotcha. Uh, I was just going to give a quick synopsis, I guess. Yeah. And so the main character, Ruby, stops the thief from stealing the dust by taking out all his goons, but he gets away. Yep. So she is allowed to enter Beacon Academy two years early, which is an academy that trains people to go out and fight monsters. Yep, to become huntresses. And then the next scene is her on the ship to go to Beacon, where she meets up with her older sister, who is also going to Beacon. 
And then off the ship, she runs into a couple of different people. She runs into Waishni and Blake Belladonna and also Jean Arc. And she, for whatever reason, is roomed up with Weiss and Blake. And I think in the source material that happens after the teams are chosen. It does. Yeah, yeah. they definitely move some stuff around. I think mostly to emphasize how these are all main characters early on. Yeah. It was just very, like, I think that was fine because they were introduced, that you can emphasize that they're main characters. It was very weird that it's like, and now we're rooming together. And then I'm wondering if they're going to, because they get, not chosen at random, but they get paired together almost at random. So it's going to be weird to see how it's like, oh, I'm paired with all of my roommates. How how weird. Yeah. Although, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe from here it'll take a drastically different direction. Maybe, but like you said, the art doesn't have me hopeful, and we'll get into it more when we go to Jump Card. All right. So on that ominous note, next we have The Promised Neverland, Chapter 112, Morning. I didn't like this chapter as much as last week. I felt I feel like this author's a lot better at building tension than he is at paying it off most of the time. Yeah, especially because it felt like the very start of this chapter snapped back a couple of extra seconds. Like I was expecting immediately to see who shot and it seemed like nobody shot for the first page. Yeah. And even afterwards, I'm honestly still not sure if Emma shot or if the other guy whose name I should have written down shot Andrew twice in one second. I think he shot Andrew twice and Emma might have just like, fired her gun randomly it was like you said it was i'm not entirely sure what happened there yeah andrew reacts with surprise to the precision which makes me feel like it has to be two shooters but that's not really supported by the rest of the text yeah so anyway they shoot andrew and while he's kind of reacting to that and trying to figure out what happened a demon shows up and eats him so everybody runs away yep so we have the one kid who was part of lucas's group shoot him and at least shoot him in the shoulder somebody shoots his gun or the hand holding the gun so that he's not able to shoot the girl that he's got hostage and he's like oh well i'll just crush them to death which makes sense he's a full-grown man and they're like six and right as he's about to do that ray has made up his mind that he is going to shoulder the responsibility of murdering someone that Hugo and lucas had said beforehand like we don't want to put that burden on you and so Ray is like, I will take that burden. And right when he makes that decision is when the demon shows up to eat Andrew. So they all run away from the demon back to their home base where they basically announce, hey, Lucas and Hugo are dead. Yep. So all the kids basically start crying and mourning. Hey, that's the name of this episode. Yep. But Ray says, this is fine for right now, but we can't stay here because I killed this owl, which was actually a recording device. Yeah, because he noticed they'd been constantly followed by an owl wherever they went. I guess he didn't necessarily know that it was a recording device, but he was like, oh, this thing's been tracking us forever. It's suspicious. Yep. So he's like, hey, so we can't stay here because they know that we're here, so we have to find a new place. Yep. And the kids start crying because they just got here and know we're safe, but Emma reminds them that the whole reason they're fighting is to try and make a safe place for them to live. Yep. So then the chapter ends with some businessmen. And one's like, ah, oh, I hope those kids heard, it's time. So that's our kind of cut cliffhanger. Yep. We also do get a 
re-update on the timeline that Emma is going to come after Phil, who she left back at the orphanage, in two months' time. Because she said two years. I think that was before you started reading. It was. When she made the promise. But they kind of give a little hint back to it of like, hey, we're coming for Phil in two years and we've got two months until I told him that we'd be there. Yeah. Okay. I didn't really understand that that was about i thought she just promised the kids that they would be done in two years no she left the younger kids back at the field they have like four-year-olds and stuff at grace field yeah and they couldn't take them with them on their escape so they left the younger ones with phil being the oldest of the younger ones saying hey we'll come back in two years and rescue you gotcha all right so that brings us to we never learn question 88 part four not doing it not doing it Okay. Didn't even write it down. Like, I don't know it. But anyway, this one picks up kind of where we left off the last one. Actually, it doesn't. It picks up with us seeing Fumino in her house waiting for her dad. Yep. And her dad's like, ah, so you couldn't even run away with conviction, huh? And yep. then we flash back to her date with Yugia that got set up last issue, where he kind of, like, pulls her through the forest to a spot he found, in air quotes, by accident. That's really good for stargazing. Yep. And he just kind of starts like pointing out stars and that really gets her going and she gets really into it and really excited, which I guess has happened before, judging by the text here. Yeah, just like he said, he liked how Fumino talked about the stars. He was like, you talking about astronomy got me to be interested in it. Yeah. And he's like, I'll support you no matter what. So like you need to tell your dad like how into astronomy you are so he can see your passion and maybe then he will listen to you yep so she goes and she tells him and he remembers how passionate his wife was about math yep and he starts to break a little but then he says no like i still can't support you because you're so talented at english it would be a waste to the world if you didn't use that talent yep which i do think was a nice thing because really we felt that he's been down on her in general like oh because you're not into math you're not worth it yeah and now we see that he does actually care about his daughter. And he's like, no, you're so talented in English. Why would you give that up? Yeah. But she like takes out the laptop from before that has only one password attempt. It's like, well, then let's ask mom and see what she says. And that's the cliffhanger. Yep. Where I'm guessing where she has figured out the answer to the whatever the question is. Yeah, probably. That's my assumption as well. That's where I would take it. Either that or it's going to be a subversion and it just deletes it all. Which... Would be pretty funny. Yeah. Although this seems like it's a story more focused on the drama than what could happen that would be funny. Yeah. Uh, And speaking of not particularly funny, next we have Hunter x Hunter, Chapter 389, Curse. Ooh. Uh, Hey, so Kevin, can you explain Nen Beasts to me? No, but I'll try. (laughs) So the Nen Beasts are what the ritual of the ruler of Kakane like brought into being so all the princes have been granted a nen beast which has special powers and is what granted the princes their nen abilities and the current king of cocaine who is doing this whole like prince's game to find his next successor between all of his princes started this when they got on the boat and so that's really all i know about the nen beasts they haven't been explained too well so it was that weird creepy horse thingy with the fourth prince i do remember that 
Yeah, that was one of the Nenbis. So they have their own unique powers separate from the princes, and they're kind of guardians to them, although obviously princes can die, so they're not completely infallible. The whole point of the game is for all the princes to kill one another until only one survives. Right. Okay, second question. The ninth prince is the one from the first one we read for this podcast, right? Whose power is he can sacrifice a dude to murder someone? Yeah. Okay. It's it's not just that. It's his power increases by the number of fall. He like he infests his nen into people that are around him until they become his followers, and then they become like more of his power. So he can still he can sacrifice somebody to kill somebody else, but he becomes even more powerful the more followers he has. Okay. All right. So yeah, this story doesn't slow down. No, this is exposition. The chapter. Yeah, it's. It feels like reading a novel, and that's not necessarily the criticism it might sound like, but there's a lot of text in here and a lot of people's inner thought, and it's with characters that I don't really have a grasp on who they are yet. Yeah, they're for the most part, it's a, a bunch of the First Prince's like army talking about stuff, I think, and then we have that part with the Second Prince, who has all the curses, and we we go into all of that. Like the past chapter, it's divided pretty clearly into two parts. The first one is, I guess, the first prince's guys just still trying to figure out what was up with that suicide. Yep. And it's a lot of exposition that I don't know that I can repeat here in an understandable way, but I did understand what was going on. So did I, but it it was definitely a lot of talking and a lot of just text, which is very weird for a manga. It's also a lot of shooting out theories and then them being shot down, so... A lot of it, I guess, isn't actually that important in the long scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, some of it was to try and set up how these certain characters think, I guess. But like you said, it literally, it starts off with somebody going, all right, so here's my theory for how this works. And then somebody immediately going, nope, all of that is wrong. Yeah. The second half, we find out a whole bunch about the second prince. And basically, she, it is a female, right? I'm pretty sure it is. I think so. I'm going with she for now, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But basically, she found out about this lowest caste that used to be recruited to basically curse princes that did not obtain the crown. No, no, no. They were the companions to the princes. So when the prince died, they would have companions also killed with them so that in the afterlife, they wouldn't be alone and try and, like be vengeful spirits for the prince that survived and while it was supposed to be an honor to be one of these princes companions they just called them from the lowest caste in society to the point where even after the practice had stopped the people who had been determined of the lowest castes of society were the untouchables and so this prince decided that she was going to rise them up to regular citizen status so they all love her for that yes And she has kind of, or they've decided on their own because of this, it's not really clear, made a whole bunch of them just constantly trying to curse each prince with the idea that at some point they will kill themselves and that will manifest the curse they've been uttering in the prince. This is one of those really weird, you cannot think about how they possibly know how these Nen abilities work. Like, I mean, I get the one guy reasoning like, oh, a Nen ability that activates after death would actually be extremely potent with the assumption that you spend all of your life force to do something, which you couldn't do in normal means. If you spend all of your life force, you'll die. So a death affecting ability 
would be potent. And he said there have been examples of that in the past. But it's very weird that all of these people who presumably had no idea what Nen was before this started decided that we're going to come up with this curse ability and they all managed to get it somehow. It, the way I read it is someone else has it and is using it on them to let them do this. Okay, that would make a bit more sense that it's like the prince's Nen ability that she can grant people the ability to become suicide bombers. I might have made that up, but that's the way, what I took from this. That would make a lot more sense than 14 people developing the exact same Nen ability. Trust me. I mean, they're at, I don't know what a 14 lit is. Yeah, I also no. <laughs> that poor woman. Um, yeah. So yeah, and then we end on someone from Karapika's like, Nen training coming back. And this was the part that was probably least clear to me. So did you understand what was going on at the end here with the number having changed? Yeah, so that's one of the princes. That was his Nen Beast, the little golden disc thing sitting behind him that spat out coins. And so they're probably hinting at the Nen Beast's ability. So he said, I was the one given the first coin because the prince keeps saying, here, my spirit beast produced this coin and you're the first one to receive it. And the guy with the actual first wood saw that it was number 10. So it probably has, the prince's ability probably has something to do with the number of coins he has made or the number of followers he has gathered or what his Nen beast is doing. But it was just a hint towards that of maybe he's done this 10 times or yeah. or what's going on. Because we don't know, we only know what his coin looks like. Okay. So I'm asking a lot of questions. So it might not sound like I'm really understanding what's going on, but I actually really like this chapter of Hunter Hunter. And like the more I get into it, the more I like Hunter Hunter for sure. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this chapter. I guess for whatever reason, I just wasn't into the exposition bomb that we were dumped with. So it, it definitely just kind of, took a long time to read. Yeah, it just really shot it down my list. Again, not that I didn't like Hunter x Hunter, but it really shot it down my list of, all right, so it's just, Here's exposition, bam, in your face, and, like, almost nothing happened. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, so, speaking of stuff happening, that brings us to the comic, Volume 6, where actually a lot kind of happened. Especially yeah. the cliffhanger at the end, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So, the police show up at the murder spot, just like was kind of happening last time. And both Himikawa and the main character, whose name I still don't know after six weeks and forgot to write down this time. I can't help you there. Are like, ah, we're glad you're here. We wanted to solve this mystery. Himikawa's like, look, he's trying to kill another person. He even dressed her up. And the person pulls off the pump. He's like, no, I'm his sister, dude. Yep. The police seem kind of terrible and inept in this chapter. Did you get that off them or am I, I being got, too harsh? I got that a little bit, but he also was pretty on the ball after it started. Like, even he was like, Himikawa, what are you doing here? And then, as soon as the main character was giving him the hints of, like, you know, I've got this rock solid alibi. Oh, do you listen to this? And that was a little weird that he almost immediately got it without... Yeah, it just seems like he should have gotten it the first time, although maybe he wasn't the detective on the original case. That's totally possible, and it's also possible because he had been giving him, oh, hey, here's a bunch of subversions to Himikawa's story, and... I do kind of wish that he had explained it of like, here, in this video, you can hear fireworks and then like told the news story or even just mentioned, hey, here are fireworks that he shouldn't have been able to hear during his live recording. And then him hearing it, that making a click, because it's a it's not a huge jump, but it's a jump to go from, well, I mean, that alibi makes sense. He was live streaming and they didn't have any real reason to disbelieve him. Yeah. 
And at the end, they're not even like, ah, clearly you did it. They're like, hey, we have some more questions for you. Yeah. We got to investigate you. And I did like that, that it wasn't immediately, oh, you're under arrest. It's like, okay, there's a lot of holes in your now old story. We need to revisit this. But before they can, someone flips a switch on a watch and Himikawa starts screaming in pain. I think it was on a ring. And I think it was that giant oh. dude that was asking about Pumpkin Club. I'm pretty sure it's the secret pumpkin demon. I agree with you there, but yeah, we don't actually see for sure. We don't see for sure, but I do think it was a ring. He because I think it was his hand. Like it that was makes sitting sense. On his hand. It looked like a watch to me, but a ring would make sense too. Yeah, it's a, just a really big ring. Well, he oh, he's a huge dude. True, but yeah, that pumpkin ring switch that murdered Himikawa. It didn't murder him, but it, it definitely did something horrible to they, him. They call an ambulance, so... But he it, seems to be doing okay and confessed to his, all his, his crimes. Yeah. The sister, who's na- and the main character, neither of whose name I know because I'm terrible at this podcast. I'm just terrible with names. Meet at the... Uh, what are they called? Why can't I think of the name of this thing? Internet Cafe. Internet Cafe. Thank you. Yep. That he's been frequenting. She's like, you can go home now. He's like, nah, I like this place. It's good for my workflow. That reminds me, I've got to submit my rough draft to my editor. It's all going to be good. I hope Babasan gets off. That Pumpkin Club stuff sure was weird, though, huh? And some women passing by are like, hey, Pumpkin Club, that reminds me. Yep, although they, like, continue to have a conversation even with the main character's sister being like, hey, wait, stop, come back. And they just, like, ignore her, which is rude, but also makes sense of... It seems like they have an idea of what's going on, so this just gave the heroes a hint versus the two girls just explaining, oh yeah, Pumpkin Club, it was this. Yeah. So that causes the main character to look at his manga some more. It's like, oh shoot, I completely missed the entire point of what Babu was trying to tell me. And we see a new page we haven't seen before that, according to him, says, uh, confirms that Himikawa was actually the one who was killed. Dun, dun, dun? Yeah. It's kind of a cool twist to keep the story going instead of just ending it on the kind of rote note of, oh, it was the manga guy all along. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a twist I could not have called ever. Yeah, that is kind of the problem is I don't think there have been any hints to this at all so far. I think we have seen that manga panel before, at least part of it, because I do remember the gate with the person in it. Like there's that like silhouette of a person in the bars of the gate. But I don't think we've seen the full panel, and even if we did, there's not enough hints in the panel for us to figure out what it is. It's yeah. kind of like the main character has the knowledge in order to figure out the hints. We don't. Yeah. So it kind of loses points for that, but as just a ride, it's pretty good, and I am excited to see where this is going and what's up with this strange Sailor Moon pumpkin demon. Yeah, because I was expecting the pumpkin demon to be... Like, oh, okay, so it was the manga guy, and now we need to figure out the connection between him and this pumpkin demon. And then it dropped the bomb of, oh, Himikawa was the one who died. Huh? How could the guy who's alive be the one who died? And what happened to the girl who supposedly died? Yes. Maybe she's pumpkin demon. That would be weird. That would be weird. I think even that she was a super fan, she probably took Himikawa's place or something. Yes, which would also be weird. But I am excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the next volume of the comic. So something I'm less excited about is World Trigger Chapter 168, Susanari 1 Part 3. Yep. Is this story growing on you at all, Kevin? A little bit. I got really annoyed with, so they started referring to people by their last names, I think, and then switched to their first names for no apparent reason. So I had no idea who any of the announcers were talking about. Yep. 
which was really annoying because I was like, okay, I th- like they've got here's this guy, this is his name, here's this guy, this is his name. Perfect. Now we're going to call them by their first names. Yeah, I, I don't know their first names, so I have no idea who you're talking about. I did love, I guess this is getting into it, there's not really a whole lot going on here, that their secret strategy was dual wielding. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. They have a tank, and one guy dual wields. Yeah, but still, it was really funny where it was like, dual rifles? Really? Dual wielding? That's your secret strategy? My note literally says, sweet strat, bro. Yeah, I like they hinted this, the guy's got a black sword, which is cool. I guess we also get a little bit more of how the mechanics of all this work. Attackers are like melee fighters and they seem to be able to chop right through those shields that people have. Yep. So normally the riflemen are actually more kind of support characters, which makes sense from a game. If this is a video game. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of feels like it's a video game because I believe it's the main character gets his arm shot off and is just, Oh no, my weapon. Like not, Oh, God, my arm is missing. It is full-on video game logic. I wanted to get to that last, because that is the cliffhanger. That is. The main character literally gets his hand shot off. He's like, oh, no, they could see my gun. Yep. But he's like, oh, he does not seem to react in pain at all, or be like, oh, no, my career as a guy who fights monsters, maybe? Yeah, well, we see in one of the flashback panels the guy with the black sword being stabbed through the chest. So I feel like this is some weird training simulation or alternate reality where they can't die or recovery girl is in this manga too well i mean there's not even any blood on his arm like it's like just lying there i feel like it's some kind of weird simulation which would make sense you wouldn't want all right so these are our soldiers that we're training for battle let's kill half of them on the way to actually train them yeah that would not be any good yeah we don't want to turn them into the gray knights Oh, we should jump back on World Trigger just a little bit. One of the team's strategies was to cut the power to the building so everything is dark, which is why the one character got his arm shot off, because he was about to be sniped, and then the lights went out, so he thought he was saved, but then he was like, oh no, they can see my weapon, which apparently glows. Yeah. So, sorry to jump back on that. Back to Black Clover. So, speaking more of stuff that Jeremy doesn't like, but maybe Kevin does, next we have Black Clover, page 182, The Apostles of Sephira. Uh, so, what did you think of this chapter? I'm still, like, I still like Black Clover. This wasn't one of the best. We're getting asked to back. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Spoilers again for the end. I was literally right in my notes, is Asta ever coming back? And then he showed up. Yeah, but I mean, not not that much else happened. We see, like, some elves doing stuff that, like... We're going to resurrect ourselves more. <laughs> yeah, there some get like grown in vats. I think, yeah, I I don't know what's going on. There's a perverted joke. There is a perverted joke because it's Japan. Did Asta's rival get turned into an elf? Is that a thing that happened? Yes. That's what it looked like they were talking about, but he was fine with it. Yeah, that actually happened earlier on. It was Asta shows up and Yuno has been turned into an elf and Yuno kind of just Asta like yells at him like get over it and he does. I mean okay. it's not it's not just like that. There's some struggle with it. I think what happens is like the elves' spirits are being shoved into these humans' bodies. That's what it seems like to me. And they're taking over. It seemed like Yuno was strong enough to shove the elf spirit into like the back burner that all the human spirits are on. So he's still in control of his body, which is cool and good for us because it would. I mean it wouldn't suck if. Asta had to fight his rival as an elf, but it helps out that, you know, is part of the good guys still. 
So we find out the Apostles of Saphira are basically the elf government, and the elf that's in Yuno is supposed to be one of them. Yes. Also, all the characters are kind of together now, is that what's going on? Again, I really don't like the art in Black Clover, and one of the reasons that I really can't tell where anyone's supposed to be, like, Noel and Nozzle are back, but I can't tell if they're with everyone else, or... I think they're converging. I think, so there's the big giant floating rock over the city, and I think everyone, since their fights are over, are finally converging together. So I don't know that they're all exactly in the same spot yet, but it's kind of leading up that everyone is going to be together for this next part. So a bunch of angel-looking dudes show up to stop them from getting to the castle. It's all the elves again. They just have wings for whatever reason. Okay, but Asta, like, shows up above them with some other guys. I don't know if we're supposed to know who those are, and I don't recognize them. They're, I'm pretty sure they're the other Black Bulls member, because they show up with the Black Bulls hideout, which is turned into its raging bull form. There's some really weird magic powers going on. One dude has the ability to manipulate the Black Bulls hideout. Okay. It's actually, the reason it's the Black Bulls hideout is because it was this guy's ability to manipulate this building. That makes so sense. So he's literally flying it like a mecha. Okay, that's kind of cool. So Asta shows up. It looks like he maybe killed all those elves or beat them up. It's, again, hard to tell with the art. But the cliffhanger is basically, hey, these guys are back. Yeah, I think it was just the, I don't even think they're knocked out of the fight yet. It was just, they were coming down from the giant rock and the giant building mecha raging bull thingy punched them, scattering them, and Aston's like, we're here! Yeah, so I still don't like Black Clover, is the moral of the story. I guess more on that in Jump Card. Anything you want to say about it, Kevin? Nah, we'll save it for Jump Card. So then we get Food Wars as the final chapter in this volume. Chapter 288, an exceptional set lunch. Yep. So we have Yukihira starts working on his dish that will be worth somebody dropping a big bill on it. He says multiple big bills. I think he says at least a big bill. Here he says a couple of big bills. There you go. I think he did say that the first time, though. Yep. I do like that in my notes, for whatever reason I didn't notice it this time, Autocorrect has changed his name to Sum. From Soma to Sum. So my notes are fun. (laughs) Nice. Some got a lot of ingredients. (laughs) Some didn't, I guess. But yeah, Soma goes around. He grabs a whole bunch of stuff. The judge is like, hey, I told you you have to pay for all that. Why are you wasting so much? And he's like, no, I'm not wasting it. I'm going to use all of it. So we see a few more pass, and the judge is like, ah, actually, more people are getting this down than I thought would. Yeah, well, we do see, before we see the people passing, we do see people freaking out of like, the flavors keep getting muddled, and she explains the purpose behind this challenge, where in gourmet cooking, you're using food and ingredients that are like the top of whatever register you're going for, sweet. Uh, savory, spicy, whatever, you're you're getting the spiciest thing, the sweetest thing, the savoriest thing. I don't think that's a word, but you're going at the those peaks versus convenience store food is kind of kind of be rounded in the middle. So you're going to have to do a lot of work in order to get that to balance out correctly, which is why she was so impressed with Sukasa, where she's like, oh, that's why he's in every single gourmet chef magazine, which he's reading at the convenience store. But she is impressed that a couple more people are passing than she thought would. So she said the third block might be pretty fun. Yeah. But anyway, finally, Soba shows up with his meal, which is an Osechi set, which is not something I'm really familiar with, though I feel like I have seen that sort of thing in anime and manga before. Yeah, I think it's like a really fancy lunch where it's kind of like a C's candy box of lunch items yeah so you got like some sushi in there and yeah it's like every individual compartment is a different item 
So she takes the first bite and like, no, this is awful. You suck. And then she takes the second bite and just keeps eating. Well, it's like, as she's explaining to him why he sucks, she keeps picking up the food and eating it. This has happened before where people will be like, no, this is terrible because they've gotten it into their head that Soma is a like a country bumpkin idiot and can't cook good food. But the more she eats, the more she's like, oh, man, this is like a free for all. Like whatever you start with, the next thing you pick is perfect. Yeah. And to explain more on that, I think the purpose behind most of these sesshi sets are you like eat them in a certain order. Yeah. So it's kind of like for gourmet meals, you've got the appetizer, the main course and the dessert. Or, like, we go through a couple of different soups. So you've got this, like, this is how you're supposed to eat the food, and the flavors from the previous one will enhance the next one. What's cool about Soma's meal is that you can start anywhere and go anywhere, and everything complements one another, which is, the food judges say, is this incredible thing of, like, how could he have possibly done that in 30 minutes? Or in less than an hour. You know, it would have taken regular gourmet chefs forever to try and plan out this crazy... You can eat it in whatever order you like. It will still taste amazing. And Soma mentions that because it's convenience store food and it's already been pre-cooked, pre-seasoned, it removed a lot of the time he would have taken for him to do a bunch of the stuff. So he really just kind of had to do arrangements and he still had to make other preparations, but it really cut down on his preparation time being able to use basically pre-cooked food. So this is like two challenges in a row that he's completely bucked the point, but still managed to pass with. And it ends on a humorous note where he's like, hey, so uh, how much is it worth? And she's kind of like, oh, well, um, you know, you don't like need the money, right? And he's like, no, I'm going to get it even if I have to take the shirt off your back. And like it's not just like nakeds her, but she's censored with these little foreclosed tags. Yep. Which is a nice touch. Although we don't find out how much this box is worth. I'm assuming that's going to happen in the next chapter when he's bragging to Sukasa about how much his meal is worth and we're going to see which one won the contest. Yeah. I also don't think this one was a typical bucking of the challenge for him. She was impressed with the, instead of trying to balance flavors together, which I mean, he still technically did with the making of the dish, however, uh, making it so that you could eat the dish however you want and it would still be a full course meal. He did kind of go above and beyond what even Tsukasa did, where he made a single dish that was really great. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to say about Food Wars? This was a pretty good chapter, and I am looking forward to see who won between him and Tsukasa. I almost feel like it's still going to be Tsukasa. Yeah. His was worth like 582 bucks. So. Yeah. I feel like Soma's is going to be close, but not quite the same, because even though Soma has beaten Tsukasa before, it wasn't like a fluke thing. But Tsukasa is clearly still an amazing chef, and that's one of the reasons why he calls him sensei, is because he still wants to learn from him. All right, so if you want to learn how much we liked each chapter, stay tuned, and we will tell you in our next segment, Jump Card. Jump Card is the segment where we rank all the chapters we've read this week from best to worst, just in like a Shonen Jump survey. So, Kevin, do you want to get started with what's at the bottom of your list? Sure. So, my number nine was World Trigger. I really need to get caught up on this manga so that hopefully I can get into it more. 
but it wasn't just the name switching, but that kind of did it for me where they're, they're talking about people and it's like, you're not talking about who's on screen or in the panel essentially. So I was getting really confused who was talking about who they started bringing in people that weren't involved in the current scene as the commentators were talking about, Oh yeah. Co beat Kawhi or what I can't even remember the names that they're bringing up in the previous match or in some of these solos thing, they bring up like the solo standings, but how good teamwork can beat good solo players, which of course that that's just how that works. The more action was definitely good. I liked them explaining that like the riflemen are more support guys, but the one guy was more of a tank than a support class, but he's extremely easy to hit because he's got a broader target and he moves a lot slower than some of the other guys. So there was some good stuff going on in this chapter, but it definitely ranked bottom of my list just because I kind of got lost halfway through of like who was talking about who. So speaking of being lost, my number nine is Black Clover because I really just didn't understand what was going on with the action in this. The elves talking all made sense, but like I said, I couldn't tell where characters were, where they were together, what they were doing, where they were going. Yeah, and this seems to be a chapter to bring everyone together. So that just seemed really poor to me. Plus, I still just don't like the way that the Black Clover artist draws action scenes. I think you're really not liking it because it's just a stylistic choice. Uh, you don't like his art style. It reminds me a lot of late Naruto, which I also had very similar problems with. All right. So my number eight was Hunter x Hunter. Like I mentioned earlier on, it's not that I didn't like this chapter and I don't like Hunter x Hunter. It was just the amount of exposition thrown at us with basically nothing happening made me kind of go, eh. And it's not like I don't like complicated stories or I really like them theory crafting about the different Nen abilities. It's like, oh, this is cool, but this is like a lot of words. And I was expecting manga. And it, like you said, it was like reading a novel. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's not what I was expecting. And it kind of just drove it down the list for me this week. So my number eight was World Trigger for a lot of the reasons you kind of talked about. It just feels really weirdly low stakes in addition to that because it feels so much like a game. We are getting to know a little bit more about how the game or combat, however you want to put it, works. And so that's nice. And the art's really clear. So it almost actually went one up for me. But I just can't really get into World Trigger at all. Yeah, I feel like I need to get caught up and then I'll have a bit of a more understanding of are they in some kind of simulation so the stakes aren't that the characters can get hurt but it's like their rankings yeah there definitely are stakes to this like they can lose a team member and they're trying to get picked for a mission to save one of the main character's friends but it feels so distant it does so my number seven was dr stone i mean we're gonna keep reading it but the story has just kind of lost me a little bit the bit where they're like we've made a refrigerator and the part where Senku decides that the easiest way to save Tsukase is to murder him first and then keep him in cold storage. It's interesting, but it just it wasn't really doing it for me this week. So my number seven is Ruby, for basically reasons we when we talked about the chapter. I don't like Ruby, and I was really hoping this was going to be a side story or something I could get into. But it's just the plot I don't really care for, and I just think the art is very bad. Probably a little better than Black Clover, which is why I put it above it. But also, they're not doing anything nearly as complicated as Black Clover is doing. So when he gets into action sequences, hopefully those are just really his specialty. Because I can see those being really bad if they're not. 
Yeah, so my number six was Ruby, and it really hurts me to put it this low, but I do not like this manga adaptation of Ruby. The art felt very muddled. It felt like a lot of the action happened off-panel. Like, I think Ruby is supposed to run into Weiss at some point, but we don't see that. We just see Ruby standing there, then we see Weiss standing there saying like, hey, watch it. And it's like, it's implied that they bumped into each other, but you don't even have a panel of Ruby even next to Weiss. Like, they're almost in two separate, we only see Weiss together, we only see Ruby. We never see the two of them even standing next to one another. And it felt like some of the other action sequences earlier on with Ruby fighting Roman Torchwick felt the same way of like, all right, so she's got this thing where she fires her sniper rifle to launch the scythe into the bad guys, and then we see her swinging the scythe and the bad guys are all suddenly gone and it just felt very disconnected especially from having watched this as an anime that has some really well choreographed fight scenes because that's really what monty was known for and monty ohm is the creator of ruby so he was really well known for his extremely good 3d choreography so it just felt kind of disconnected for some of the scenes of almost like we were missing panels and they were just like showing us snapshots of dialogue. So next on my list is Dr. Stone for pretty much the reasons we discussed. Like I said, pretty much every week, I'm a little more hopeful that the story's going to go somewhere cool, I think, than you are, which is kind of what bumped it up on my list. That and I'm not a Ruby fan to begin with, but I still didn't super care for it. That said, I did enjoy it, and pretty much everything Dr. Stone and Up is a chapter I would say I enjoyed reading this week. Yeah, I do have the strange thing of, I actually did enjoy Hunter x Hunter, but it goes down on my list, even though I didn't, it's not that I hated reading Dr. Stone, I didn't enjoy reading Ruby just because I'm a Ruby fan and I didn't like this adaptation, so I guess it's how much I enjoyed the chapter didn't affect my list as much as how much, like, I don't really know how to describe it, why why my list is like that. Anyway, my number five was Black Clover. This chapter wasn't the best. Uh, it's cool that we're finally getting Asta back. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the Black Bulls. It looks like everybody's pulling together and we're getting ready for the climactic fight of this arc. But there was just a lot of, all right, so it's the elves talking and they're apparently grown now and that's something just out of left fields that almost seemed like just for the joke of, oh, hey, your boobs have gotten bigger from the last time I saw you, even though you're only a 15-year-old girl because they mentioned we were only able to age you 15 years. So really weird Japanese perversion joke and it just it didn't really grab me so my number five is the promised neverland because like I said when we were talking about it I feel like they had a really tense premise going into this chapter that they didn't pay off as well as I'd hoped and it seems like a real transitiony chapter of okay now we've actually dealt with that horror monster problem so now we have to move on but we don't really know where to and the cliffhanger is kind of with these characters we've never met before and don't really know what they're up to. So it just seemed like kind of a lazy cliffhanger on top of that. Yeah. So my number four was The Promised Neverland for a lot of the same reasons. It felt like the cliffhanger was more about like, hey, these are these two dudes that are supporters, I guess. Like that. And the fact that they exist is the cliffhanger more than what they were talking about, I feel like. So my number four is Hunter Hunter, because whenever I understand what's going on in a Hunter Hunter chapter, I feel like it just bumps it way up for me because it really does make me smart when I can like just kind of grasp what's going on. And the idea of these like characters who are living their entire lives to put death curses on people 
like that whole little bit of world building that actually really grabbed me. Even though I'm sure these are just going to be another set of characters in this giant list of them. They're yeah. pretty cool ones. I like that, like I said, little slice of the world. All right. So my number three was the comic. This is a really cool chapter. That that was a twist I didn't see coming. But at the same time, seems to almost come out of left field. Like, oh, Himikawa was actually the one who died. And it, it wasn't like, uh, oh, there was like this little inkling in the back of my head that connected all of the dots when you said that. It was like... Oh, that literally came out of nowhere. But I did really like it. I liked the the weird pumpkin switch that seemed to cause Himikawa pain and did something to him. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But the comic, I mean, it was still top three, but it's the bottom of my top three for that reason. Yeah, same with me. For pretty much the same reason you said that the twist at the end kind of came out of nowhere. It's still a really cool cliffhanger. I really want to know what's going on. But it, the fact that you couldn't have predicted it does seem kind of weak in a mystery story. So my number two was Food Wars. I really like this Food Wars chapter. I liked that Yukihira, he's done this before with the freeform dish of, I think it was during the one of their tournament arcs, he made a meat carnival or something like that. Like he comes up, they come up with really funny names for all of these dishes. But it was just kind of cool that he had built this, I keep wanting to call it a bento box and it's not, uh, this Osechi set. Osechi set which I think someone has done before in the series, has made an Osechi set for a competition that like Soma was a part of. I think a lot of what Soma does is he tends to appropriate what other people have done and add his own spin to it. And it's kind of that, like, I'm building off of everybody else to make myself stronger. It's not me being a genius. It's me realizing that other people have a lot to input and... I'm the person who can bring all of that together. And then I put my own spin on it. So I'm not just copying somebody. And I really like that. And the fact that they didn't reveal how much his dish was worth, even though we do know that he passed, makes me want to read the next chapter a bit more of like, oh man, how much did he make? I mean, it was, it's not much of a cliffhanger, but at least a little bit of like, oh, I'm excited to see how much he made. And if him or Sukasa won their competition. Food Wars is also my number two. This might sound kind of funny when I'm saying I'm putting it in number two, but I feel like the gag of Food Wars that it's this super serious like shonen anime, but it's about food instead of fighting might be kind of wearing off for me. I don't know how long this can really sustain itself. That said, it's been 288 chapters and it's still going. So I might be barking up the wrong tree. The thing I think is still really strong about it, though, is the art. Like I said, that like picture of her naked with like the foreclosed tags as sensor bars really really like got to me for some reason yeah i thought the art was good and that it was actually a really funny gag yeah a lot of those defeated things with it's almost chibi soma so in that one he's like dressed up like a gangster in the pinstripe suit holding more foreclosure tags yeah and we've seen him with arena-san as like these little angels it's actually really funny in the anime. So she's like, oh, it's like being smothered with honey. So she's like, she really likes the dish. But the fact that it's Soma is the one who made it like creeps her out. So it's her preconceptions of who he is flavors her taste. So she's like being essentially molested by these little tiny Soma angels. <laughs> it's great. I guess I'm not the guy who can tire of gags easily. Like I know a lot of people have talked about with One Punch Man that how long could the gag last of, oh, he beats everything in one punch. It's like, well, I mean, that's not the only part of the show. And 
just like with Food Wars, the whole part of the show isn't just that it's just another random shonen manga with food instead of fighting. Still makes it one of my favorites. All right. So my number one would be We Never Learn. I really like this chapter because we got to see Fumino being reaffirmed in her joy of being an astronomer with Yugiya basically saying like, you were so passionate about it the last time you talked about it that I got interested in it. Even though I've already got all this stuff on my plate, I've got tons of stuff to do, but you were so interested in astronomy that it got me getting into it. And I love hearing you talk about it. And then her trying to relate that to her dad of just because I'm good at English doesn't mean that I should give up on my dream, especially with his mental image of her just being like her mom. And I'm really excited to see what the cliffhanger of what's going to be on that computer file is. And I'm hoping it's she's figured out the password rather than she enters the wrong password and deletes the whole file. Yeah, obviously, if you're paying attention, We Never Learned is my number one as well. It's not a very funny chapter, but I think that's part of what makes it so strong yep. is that the drama really works at it. And it does kind of keep you on the edge and want to find out what's going to happen in the next chapter. Also, I should mention, My Hero Academia, for me, jumped in between my number one and my number two. I All I know flipping through it is it's a shadow chapter, which makes it seem like it would have been my number one if I read it. It is really good. I just think We Never Learned had a bit more of an emotional payoff. So this was the end of one of the rounds in this kind of competition between Class A and Class B. And so there's a lot of the losers getting over who lost and the going over the results of the match and like, why people felt they didn't do their best and a lot of the people being like, hey, let's do this again because they're still, even though they've been competing against one another, they're still friends except for that one crazy guy from Class B. I'm horrible with names, but he's the guy with a copy yeah. quirk, which is honestly amazing, but he's just insane about being the best. But most of the rest of Class B is like, ah, we've had different experiences, but you're still part of UA's hero course. So we're still friends, even though, you know, we kind of want to have this friendly competition of who's going to be better, not because they want to beat Class A, but because they want to prove that they're strong. Yeah. This was a really good chapter of My Hero Academia, even though there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of action. There was a lot more of kind of an emotional payoff between a lot of different characters between we had Shoto, we had Ida talking about their failings. So yeah, it was a really good chapter. So speaking about Boy on Boy, we read Kiss Him, Not Me. And you can hear all about that after the break. And we are back to talk about Kiss Him, Not Me. All right. So, like I said, Kevin, you picked this one. Had you seen any of the anime or had you just heard about this? I had literally just heard about it, so I haven't seen the anime. I had no clue besides the very brief description that somebody had given me of what the anime was about. Okay. So what did you think of Kiss Him, Not Me? It was actually pretty fun. Again, Shoujo isn't really my thing, and it's probably not something I would go out of my way to read, but... It's definitely something that, like, I didn't feel, oh, man, I felt like I wasted the money on buying this manga volume. I liked it a lot more than Oren High School Host Club, even though I see a lot of the same DNA kind of in there. Yep. 
I enjoyed this a lot more. I think because the main character is so much more personality to her. Yeah. She's so much louder in a way. Yeah, that makes sense. The one thing, reading this with the digital version, I didn't realize there was an author's notes section at the very back of the book until I made it to the back of the book. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of the like author's notes on the actual pages and explains some of the words that I had looked up on the internet of like, here's a Japanese term that I don't know what it means. The one thing I didn't like, and this is 100% on the translation, is they used the term BL to mean boy's love, and I, I literally didn't get it until the last time in the manga they used it. Yeah. I'm uh, like, oh, obviously, you're dumb, Jeremy. Yeah, I had known that beforehand. I, I had like known that term beforehand, so I knew what they were talking about, especially because of the tone of the chapter. Yeah. So the main character is Kay Serenuma. She is a otaku girl who is really, really into boy-on-boy stuff. Yowie. To the point where she ships her classmates. She ships her classmates. She really enjoys shipping in general. She mentions that, like, I'll ship anybody if they catch my interest. Yeah. And to the point where it drives her to, like, distraction that she's, like, constantly shipping people based on the situations that they're in. Yeah. Particularly Igarashi and Nanashima, who are these two, like, athletic guys at her school. Yep. She and her friend Achan, like, argue about their ship name, because Ah is also into all the same stuff as her. Yeah, and so that was one of the things that I had to read the translator's note in the back in order to figure out what they were talking about with the 5x7 and the 7x5, because that's the translation of them arguing about their ship name versus I thought they were trying to argue about like five by seven is like the dimensions of a photo usually. (laughs) So that was really throwing me off of like, why are they trying to argue about the dimensions of a photo? And then it mentioned something about the translator's notes, but I thought that was going to be like on the same page. I didn't realize that it was in the back of the book, but it didn't stop me. Like I understood that they were arguing something about the couple. So I was just like, all right, it's just some term. I'm going to breeze past it. And then I'll get it when I go back. And I did. So while she's getting distracted, staring at these two guys she's into, one of them bumps into her. So her friend takes her to the nurse's office. He doesn't just bump into her. He like falls on top of her. Like she gets knocked to the ground and he lands on her, which is why she gets taken to the nurse's office. Not just, oh, he bumped into her. But she's pretty much fine when she wakes up. So, uh. Shinomaya, who is this younger guy who's like kind of intense, gets really mad at her and basically like, you just want attention. Get out of here. Yep. And then last but not least, there's Mutsume, who is this older guy who she's in history club with, who is the only guy who's like seems to care about her at all. It's like, hey, are you all right? Is everything okay? You gonna be at the club? Yep. So she rushes home to watch her favorite anime, which is called Mirage something. I should have written it down. Saga. I think it's Mirage Saga. Okay. But the character she has a crush on, Shino, ends up dying. And the reason she likes Nirishima is he looks like Shino. Yeah. So she shuts herself in for a week and doesn't eat anything or go to school or do anything. I think it's two weeks. I I read a week. Two weeks would be, I I was going to say more realistic, but let's not pretend that this is realistic at all. No, but either way, she locks herself away for an amount of time where we get panels of her friends going like man i haven't seen her in a while and her mom being like hey you should like come out and do something and eventually her mom and her brother k 
kick in the door and is like, hey, listen, it's been a week. It's been two weeks. You need to come out. And she's like curled up in a ball under her covers. And so she undoes the covers is like, okay, whatever. And she goes into her bathroom and is looking at the mirror and does the classic thing of clearly I'm not looking at myself. So she starts poking the mirror. Her exact line is, why is there a poster here? Yes. This mirror is broken. Actually, we see an image of her before she goes to the bathroom, right? Yeah. Okay. So her she's mother also on the cover. So yeah, but her mother and her brother see the fact that she's suddenly become beautiful because she was pudgy. She was drawn like a almost grotesque, almost chibi style fat girl would be. Yeah. Before and now she is straight up an anime babe. Yeah, and I don't think she wasn't drawn grotesquely. She was just really fat. I think it's her eyes. Like this author is really good at facial expressions. Yep. And there's something grotesque in her uh, facial expressions that I think in her older body just make her look kind of grotesque. And it does so in the newer body, too, but that creates a contrast effect. Yeah. Where it doesn't when she's kind of just the fat nerd. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, anyway, so she has found out that she has lost a ton of weight and is a total babe and then goes to school the next day. And she's like, oh, th- thankfully, I was able to make my clothes fit. And she runs up to Achan and is like, oh, man, it's been so weird. And uh, Achan's like, and who who are you? And that's everyone's having this reaction of like, oh, is there some new student here? Who's this babe that's walking through the halls? Except for Mitsumi, who re- is the only person to recognize her. And recognize her immediately. He's like, oh, I mean, you lost a little bit of weight, but you haven't changed that much. Yeah. But anyway, all three of the guys who were mean to her before, the two sports guys and the younger guy, all ask her to see a movie with them. Uh, whereas Mutsumi is about to ask her something too, but then at, when they ask, he's like, oh, no, that's what I wanted to I think he was going to ask her, he was like, hey, can I borrow that book of like for History Club or something like that? Like, yeah. I think because I think he had gotten part of way through the sentence when the first guy who had run up to her was like, I'm going to ask you out to the movies. And so he jumps on the bad wagon of all the rest of them asking her out. And so that ends the first chapter, which is called This Reality is Unbelievable, and leads us into chapter two, which is Can She Do It? A Real Life Otome Game. Did you know what that meant, Kevin? Or No, I had to look that one up. That's basically just a dating sim. Yeah, I got that, but it was a dating sim mainly from a female perspective about a bunch of guys. Yeah. So she apparently said yes to all of them because she didn't know how to react. And she's like, ah, oh, Achan, what do I do? I don't know how to date. And she's like, oh, don't worry. Having a boyfriend is great. And she's like, did you tell your boyfriend you're an otaku? And she's like, absolutely not. You have to keep that super secret. Yeah. I mean, otherwise it would totally be over if he found out how weird I was. Yeah. So she goes into this date freaking out about, all right, I got to keep the fact that I'm an otaku a secret. So when she's in the movie, which apparently is pretty boring, at least by some of the like a, the sports guy who looks like her favorite anime star is sleeping on the shoulder of the guy next to him. Apparently they played rock, paper, scissors to figure out the seating order or like who was going to be sitting next to who. And so she spent the entire movie staring at the two of them, shipping them in her head because she's mentioned that her fantasies are super powerful, that like she just has these super vivid daydreams. So she spent all of her time doing that. So when one of the other characters remarks about the movie, she's like, uh-huh, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't even remember watching the movie. I just spent the whole time looking at them. Yeah, so one of the guys kind of drags her away to try to get her alone, and they're in one of those little photo booths, and they're about to take pictures. 
But right before the pictures get taken, the other guys kind of storm in and berate them. So she gets all these pictures of the two of them in yep. there, which she kind of pockets. Yep. And they're like, oh, what do you want to do? And she's like, um, yeah, I do things. Yeah. And they do this as they're like leaving the theater. And so she's walking along of like, uh, what am I supposed to do on a date? And she hears an announcement from a store of like, hey, there's this limited edition thing that only this store is going to have for the next until they sell out. And so she's kind of having this internal debate of like, oh, my, oh, it's got to be that thing that was released forever ago. And I'll I'll die if I don't get it. And she eventually caves in and rushes off to the store leaving all of the boys in the dust wondering exactly what happens. And she comes walking out holding a body pillow of the guy from Mirage Saga, I think. Yeah. And she's like, sorry, I'm a total freak. I know you all hate me. But then because she's a super hot chick, they're like, no, no, no. I'm uh, I'm totally into anime. I totally watched uh, Evangelion. on. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. One of the guys is like, I think I saw an anime once. The History Club guy is like, yes. And like, aren't you cuter when you're doing what you want? Yeah, he's actually the one who's, like, super just not phased by anything and, like, generally seems to care about her as a person. Yeah. He was the one who recognized her even though she had drastically changed her appearance. He wasn't initially going to ask her out on a date, but he sees everyone else doing it and is kind of just pressured into it, almost. So then they spend the rest of the day shopping for more otaku things in that anime store she's like oh well there was actually some other cool stuff in there so let's go in there and they're all kind of very awkwardly <laughs> trying to be like but you know i'm not into this at all but this girl is super hot so i i don't want to tell her no because then some one of these other guys will grab her yeah so that brings us to chapter three can she get along with the ball and this basically starts with what i find to be a pretty good joke if she's in pe class and she's like, oh, now that I don't weigh all that much, I can move really fast. Achan mentions, she's like, you actually used to be fairly athletic, even though you were pretty big. And she's like, yeah, and now that I lost all that weight, I feel so light, like I can fly. So one of the girls asks on the soccer team asks her to join because one of their players are injured and they're short. And she agrees because I don't actually remember why. So this was one of the things that I had to look up, and they explained it in the author's notes. I the captain is it because of the Captain Subasa anime? Yeah. So she watched Captain Subasa and played one of the soccer games. So she's like, "I'm really into soccer anime, so I can play soccer." And she also mentions it's not just because she's really into that, but she's like, "I didn't want to let them down, and I was feeling really good about myself, feeling all this athletic." And she's like, "I know I'm not going to be amazing, but I'm going to work at it. I can become friends with the ball, <laughs> which is a Captain Subasa thing, apparently." Yeah. But the mean younger classman, uh, she or Maya is like, no, you can't just like be good at soccer in a week, no matter how hard you try. And she goes to practice, but like even just like the regular drills are too much exercise for her because yeah. she's not used to exercising at all. Well, and she mentions that as like, oh, was, I've always been an indoor person. So even though I was fairly good in like the exercise things i don't have any of the conditioning they don't call it that but that's really what it is she has no stamina she has absolutely no stamina so she's totally winded before they even start the first practice because i mean if you're in a high school practice they've been doing conditioning at least for the the couple years that they've been in high school but probably longer so they're definitely oh yeah we can run 20 laps around the field and do a bunch of sit-ups and push-ups and then go have a practice and not be bad whereas she's totally out of breath and like shaking on the ground but she doesn't want to be a burden to the soccer team so she keeps trying really hard yep and so 
Shinomaya starts trying to help her, but anytime she kicks the ball, it just somehow curves and goes behind her. It curves and hits her in the face multiple times. And he's like, that's honestly impressive. So we get some stuff of like him finally getting roped into trying to coach her because clearly he didn't want to when he first started because he was he's a big sports guy. So he's kind of upset that she just decided she can be good at soccer. I can do soccer. It's not that hard. It kind of like belittles the fact that he spent a lot of time. I think he plays volleyball. Uh, at least that's, that's what they were playing in P.E. where he spent a lot of time practicing getting better and she thinks she can do it in a week. And then we do see the soccer girls going like, hey, do you think maybe we should ask somebody else? Because like the first four days of practice, she didn't even end up practicing with the team because she was out of breath by the end of the conditioning. But she really wants to try. So she ends up being the one put in on the game and they're down zero to one. And she's like, no, I can do it. Pass me the ball. No, I think they're I think they're tied one to one. Is it? Okay, I thought they were down for some reason, but that makes more sense. And so they're like, okay, I guess, like, it can't hurt. So they pass her the ball, and she kicks it away from her and then just ducks, and it goes into the goal. Yeah, because she essentially managed to do a bicycle kick without doing the bicycle kick part. So everyone, including the goalie, thinks, oh, what is this idiot girl doing? She's kicking away from the goal, and it curves right over his head and goes in, and everyone's like, that was amazing. <laughs> it's genuinely very funny. Yeah, it was great, because they're like, what is she doing? She's kicking the wrong direction. But no, it was just as planned. Yep. Does that chapter have any sort of deuma? I can't remember it. I think it ends with all of the guys talking about how the athletic guy had finally gotten roped into helping her out. Like, oh, I, I can't believe he was down there. And kind of the, just them talking about how he got more invested in her than just being really beautiful. Yeah. So that brings us to chapter four, The Strange Room and the Four Schoolboys, which is basically just, she's like, oh man, I need help studying. We should all study together. But wherever they go, they get kicked out for being too loud. Yeah, well, so it's a almost summer break. So she's super excited to do all of these things. She's like, oh, there's Comiquet and all these different conventions. And there's all of these like limited releases. And then there's like going to the beach and stuff. There's like all this stuff I want to do. And then as she's talking about this, her homework teacher comes over and says, hey, if you don't pass your final exam, you're going to have to stay back and take remedial courses. And this is what makes me think it was like at least two weeks maybe even longer, that she was out because they mentioned that she missed a bunch of school and like barely squeaked by on her midterm and has been struggling because she missed a bunch of school. She's never shown to be like a very bad student. but no, she's you, in the history club even. Yeah, if you miss like a, a couple of weeks of school or maybe it's even months of her like completely shut in, she fell really far behind the rest of the class. So that's why I think it's at first the older guy just is like, oh, hey, well, I can help you study. Because they're all they're all in the same room when she's talking about this, and then everyone else jumps on of like, oh hey, you're going to be help tutoring. I need to, I could use some help as well. Yeah. So they go to the library and get thrown out because they're too loud. They go to a restaurant and the restaurant throws them out because they're going to be taking up a table without buying anything. And they're like, well, where else do we think we can go? Well, how about your place? One of the boys kind of essentially trying to. Get, make his way into a girl's room is like oh hey why don't we go study at your place you are the one who wanted help studying so she agrees and then they're planning to meet the next day i guess because she goes home and starts freaking out about she like walks in and you can see her room is covered in anime posters and there's a body pillow and there's 
light novels and manga all over the place and it's this otaku nerd's dream room of like all of this memorabilia just littered about the place and she's like they cannot see any of this so she's like hey they know i bought the body pillow because they were here and they saw that so i can leave this out yep everything else has to go in the closet so she puts everything away in her closet yep and the boys come to study but her brother because he's a little shithead brother well so first they come to study and she leaves for a little bit and one of the guys pulls back the bedsheet covers and gets freaked out because she's got that guy from Mirage Saga bedsheets. So it's like his body is on the bedsheet. So they pull off the cover and there he is. And they're like, oh, oh my God, that was that was super startling. And then somebody drops their pen under the bed and they go to get it. And she's gotten a life-size display of him from one of the stores when the promotion ended. And she's like, yeah, I talked to the store and managed to get this display when the promotion was over. And they let me keep it. And she's like, it was too big to fit in my closet. So they're like, okay. Because they were like, oh my god, there's another guy under the bed. And it's at this point where her little brother comes home and hears that she's there with a bunch of guys. And is trying to oust her as an otaku. He's been shown to not particularly like her that much. He's a little shithead brother. Yeah, but it's not just that he's a little shithead. Like, for whatever reason, he doesn't like her. Not, I mean, he is being mean-spirited, but it's not... Because he's not that young. At least I don't think so. Like, he's only, like, a couple years younger. It so reads it, to me very much like a brother-sister relationship, where they just don't get along. It does. So he opens up the closet, spilling out all of the... And this was the thing that she was really worried about, was all of the boys love, like, novels and all that stuff all over the place because liking mirage saga as like oh this is a popular anime that's i mean to them that's a little weird but all the boys love stuff might have thrown them off yeah but they're already like yeah but we already know she's a huge otaku and every girl is into gay love stuff like all of them yeah and the one guy the older dude who just goes along with everything is just even though other guys mention it of like man you just roll along with everything because he just takes everything in stride and is like oh yeah well that's not too weird i think he's the one who says like yeah aren't aren't a lot of girls into this kind of stuff yeah so she like starts rushing to throw it all back but then he's like oh no no take your time this is all important stuff to you right you don't want to you don't want to damage the books and so this one ends with she did manage to study successfully passes her exams and it was like yeah now it's time to do summer adventures and then they put a little author's note of like all of the otaku stuff took precedence. Like, so it shows her standing in line in Kamaket, standing in line for like some concert, standing in line for some limited release. And it's her and Archan all doing this. And then the last couple of panels are her back in school. And one of her friends is, Oh, you've gotten quite a nice tan. Were you out doing a bunch of outdoor adventures? And she was like, No, we spent all most of our time indoors. Yeah, but we see that they were mostly in line outside. Yeah, so like in their minds, they were indoors the whole time, even though they they actually got quite a nice tan. And that's Kiss Him, Not Me. I Like I said, I actually found myself really liking this. I almost wanted to read the next volume when I was done, because it's pretty breezy. It's pretty funny. Like I said, I like it a lot more than I liked Orin High School Host Club. Yeah, It's basically the same fantasy, but the main character's got a lot more going on, and that makes the other characters feel like think a little more detailed there's also only four of them yeah as opposed to six yeah well five i guess but yeah it still felt like a lot less for whatever reason yeah i do feel like if we do read the next version i'm going to know that there's going to be translators notes at the back and i'm going to try and look for those little asterisks so that i can jump back there and read them 
Yeah. They definitely really help. There was one translator's note that was in the page that I thought was the funniest thing ever. So she's talking about some anime or manga or something like that. And the translator's note is, you don't need to know what she's saying. Yes, I remember that one. Where even the translator is like, yeah, you do not need to know what she's talking about. Just like the rest of the boys who have all of these blank looks on their faces, that's what you're supposed to get. She is talking about something so out there that only fans of that thing would recognize it. Yeah. All right. So speaking of fans, I th- if we don't have anything else to say about this, I think it's time to rank K. Siranuma on our personality power level list. What do you think, Evan? Sure. Let's go with personality power level. Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? All right. Personality power level is the segment where we rank characters from our favorite to our least favorite. At the top right now is Suzuki Midoriya from My Hero Academia. At the bottom is Haruhi Fujioka from Oren High School Host Club. And in the middle is Anise Murphy from Cypher. So I think we should start with Haruhi from Oren High School Host Club, just because, like I said, this story reminded me the most of that. But I like Kay a lot better. Yeah, I do as well. Like you said, she's got a lot more personality. Her being an otaku, I can relate to a lot more. I'm not technically an otaku, but I understand that culture. We're just going to move on from that analogy. I get how she feels, so I can relate to her a lot more than I can to Haruhi, who is totally dead inside. So next up is Ichigo from Bleach. And where our criticism of him, he doesn't have much personality. I don't think that's a problem at all for Kay. So I like her a little bit more than Ichigo, I think. Yeah, same thing. It's kind of like we've mentioned in the Bleach episode that Kurosaki is just kind of there. And it's almost a lot of the other people around him that have the personality. So I think I like K more than him as well. All right. And next we have Goku. Goku's also kind of out there and gets used for a lot of the same humor stuff. He's got a personality before, but I think because K is more relatable, I like her a little bit more. Yeah, I can see that as a from a character standpoint, especially because she's more relatable. Uh, so while this might not apply to everybody, we're Americans who are anime fans. So I definitely relate to somebody who... Ah, uh, this is seen as a little weird and a little out there in society, being a person who likes something that it's not necessarily okay to like that in open society. Yeah. So next we have Anise Murphy. And Anise is a lot more subdued, but she's got a strength to her as well. I think I like Kay a little more because I tend to like the extreme personalities. It's one of the things that draws me to anime, but I think they're pretty close. So what are your thoughts on that? I could see the same thing as well. I am interested in reading the next volume of Cypher just to see a bit more of Anissa's personality. I feel like she matured a lot over that chapter in general. Like at the very end, she was showing because at first she came off as like this little kid who was like, you've got to explain everything to her like she's five. And then it comes off as, oh, she's actually a lot more intelligent. So I'm hoping if we do go back to read volume two of Cypher that... It'll get pretty interesting, but I agree that I like Kay a little bit more right now. So next up is Monkey D. Luffy, and I feel like that's a wall that Kay probably can't climb. I have a lot of personal love for Luffy and his, like, the way he bangs his head against things until he finally succeeds constantly. And he's got a lot more history, at least to me. I mean, also literally, his manga started in 1997. Same thing here. I like Luffy a bit more than... K as well, Uh, even though Luffy is kind of the guy who doesn't develop much as a character, since we don't have any history with Kiss Him Not Me, maybe K is the exact same way where she kind of stays the same, or maybe she grows a lot, I don't know. But at this point, 
I do like the idea of putting her behind Luffy. Okay. So Kay goes at the new midpoint, above Anise Murphy, but below Monkey D. Luffy. All right. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we are going to be reading Berserk, and I should have written the author's name down because I don't remember it, which is going to be a far cry from the shoujo stuff we've been reading, as we're going to try to read some seinen stuff for the next month, although we'll see how much we get into with Christmas coming up. Yep. Unfortunately, it didn't time out that we could have been doing this around Halloween. I feel like a horror manga would make a lot of sense around there. Instead, we're going to do it around Christmas time, which is weird, but there we go. Well, we're going to spend December reading a bunch of Sanin manga, you know, to get us in the real Christmas spirit. Yeah, I guess we're going to go with the really old Christmas spirit of like, you know, Krampus and Naughty Children, as opposed to the much more Americanized version of buying people gifts. So if you want to see our past episodes, you can listen to those at lastpodcast.com. That's also where you'll find the personality power level list, as well as our Discord. You can also leave comments. The Discord or the comments are both great places to get a hold of us, especially if you have manga recommendations for us. You can also find my other two podcasts there. Last time on video games, this week we played Soul Calibur for that podcast, which is a pretty good video game. So give that a listen, especially if you're playing Soul Calibur 6 right now. You'll also find It's a Gundam, which is our episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast. And by our, I mean me and my friends Zach and Tyler. Kevin's not on it. Nope. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend about it. It really helps us grow. Or give us a review on Apple Podcasts, which I still call iTunes, so forgive me. That helps us tremendously. It helps new people find the show. Our opening theme is Fighting Against One's Will by Midair Machine. Our closing theme is A Psychic Fist Fight by Tom W. Emerit. Other music is by Spectacular Sound Productions. And our amazing cover art is by Kate Wind. You can find her art on DeviantArt. Ask her for a commission. She's great. Anything you want to plug, Kevin? I just want to plug, uh, maybe you guys should actually go check out the source material for Ruby, the anime created by Montiom, because I'm a big fan of it, even though Jeremy's not. So I would like to officially unplug that. No. All right. We'll see you next week. I can dip my foot into the toes of that culture.